go girls. It's part four of the queer review of Thunderball. With the exception of the Home Secretary, whose wife has, according to Bond, probably lost her dog, no one is married in Thunderball. Another exception could be Colonel Bouvard, although he may be the same person as his wife and she may not actually exist. So not exactly heteronormative then. We live in a heteronormative world where the relationship held up as an ideal is one heterosexual man and one heterosexual woman, both of whom must actually exist and not be created solely for the purpose of faking one's own death and evading James Bond. In a heteronormative world, this man and woman get married, live out their lives sticking rigidly to the roles expected of them based on their genitalia, and then die, ideally having secured some kind of post-mortem future for themselves by passing on some of their genetic material by bumping their genitalia together and producing part clones of themselves. Okay, it all sounds a bit mad when you put it like that, doesn't it? And yes, I'm being flippant, but I think I'm entitled to a degree of flippancy, having grown up in this kind of world, a world where alternatives were actively shut down by the institutions, government, education, the law, that should have been supporting me in living a more or less satisfying life. Being gay meant this was never a possibility in my mind, and I'm fortunate, at least, that I was in a privileged enough position that I didn't have to live a lie even longer than I did. Had I been born into another culture, or even just a few decades earlier, my options might have been a lot more limited. A lot of people are pressured into getting married and having kids. I felt the pressure, but I resisted. Okay, so I got married not long after same-sex marriage became possible. I bought into a heteronormative institution. If that makes me somewhat homonormative, as the terminology goes these days, then fine, whatever. It's not an everything or nothing thing. We can pick and choose. If marriage is a hallmark of heteronormativity, Thunderball presents us with a world which is distinctly unheteronormative. Heteronormativity is so much the norm that it's easy to spot by its absence. This is highlighted in the scene in the Kiss Kiss Club, where the girl Bond takes on the dance floor as cover assumes Fiona Volpe cutting in is his wife. The joke is, were there ever two people less likely to settle down to marriage with each other, or anyone else for that matter, than James Bond and Fiona Volpe? It's doubly amusing because Bond's line, do you come here often, is such a cliched pickup line that we can't imagine Volpe ever being receptive to it. It's a line you would ordinarily hear in a heteronormative environment, where people go through the various stages of dating, working their way over a socially respectable period of time from a peck on the cheek, to sex. In other words, everything James Bond finds tedious. And not just James Bond. The girls of Thunderball are just as impatient to get what they want. Bond has already tried out this line, do you come here often, earlier in the film on Domino. After this attempt to pick her up fails, Bond fakes boat trouble. Dialogue in the shooting script but cut from the film reveals that Domino was fully aware of Bond sabotaging his own motor, but she still goes with him anyway. Even so, in the film it's obvious that Domino knows what he's up to. When he suggests lunch by the pool, she reminds him about his urgent appointment, that he's now forgotten about. When she calls him on his continual questioning, he changes tack, telling her that's what he's doing, 
and it offers her conch chowder, which she identifies as an aphrodisiac. Unbeknownst to Domino, Bond's urgency has less to do with him wanting to have sex with her for his own pleasure and more to do with finding out vital information related to his mission. During their next meal together later that same day, when Bond is again pumping her for information, they continue talking across purposes. Trying to work out if the Disco Volante will be populated when he looks her over later that night, Bond asks, are you sleeping aboard tonight? She tells him, I hoped you'd not be so obvious. For her part, Domino can be just as obvious. Her parting line to Bond is, you know where you can find me. Even before Domino asks Bond to kill Largo, and there's more than a hint that she wants him to help her get rid of him in some way, or at least shake up the status quo. A clear reminder that we're watching characters navigate a heteronormative society is Domino being so embarrassed at being Largo's mistress that she pretends to be his niece. Bond gallantly tells her he would not have called her what others might, a kept woman. He would pass no judgment whatever she labelled herself. That Domino is ashamed in the first place exposes the pressure she feels in heteronormative Bahamian society as an unmarried woman in a sexual relationship with a man. Largo is not even married, so Domino cannot be his mistress, but is more accurately his girlfriend. It's a double standard, of course. Bond's preference for relationships with married women is well known. They keep things uncomplicated, even if he does have to deal with the odd jealous husband. There is no exact male equivalent for mistress in the sense of being the sexual partner of someone who is married, although some have suggested using paramour, which sounds far more romantic, or mistress, which just sounds forced. Domino's self-consciousness about how her relationship is perceived by wider society endears us to her. In all other ways, she is impressively resilient. When Bond warns her he's about to say something hurtful on the beach after they've uh, tried not to frighten the fish, she tries to preempt him, breaking it off with her, voicing aloud herself what she imagines he's about to say. You're going away. Sorry, my dear, it's all over. Brushing her hair and not looking at Bond, she makes it clear that this would not really bother her. Domino can be just as transactional as 007 and deadly. Domino is the only Bond girl who gets to kill the main villain, and she doesn't feel an iota of remorse for having done so. Domino has this in common with the protagonists of many slasher horror films. It's well documented that many queer people identify with what Carol Clover called final girl characters, perhaps because the character is made to suffer but ultimately emerges as the victor rather than falling prey to the monster as their victim. Although the consensus is that the modern slasher film did not begin until 1978's Halloween, there were progenitors. Even the end of 1960's Psycho has the initial victim's sister survive the horror of her basement encounter with Norman Bates, even if it is John Gavin, who nearly played Bond in Diamonds Forever, who ultimately disarms the villain. 
We never find out what would have happened to Domino had Largo carried out his plan of applying heat and cold scientifically to her body, but we gather he would have gained some sexual satisfaction from his non-consensual act. Until this nearly torture scene, we don't feel a great deal of antipathy towards Largo, with the exception of poor Paula and Domino's brother, deaths which he is indirectly responsible. He's mostly been shown offing people within his own organisation. But his mistreatment of Domino makes us bloodthirsty. He's undoubtedly a monster who deserves that harpoon to the chest. And it's perfect that Domino is the one to deliver it. Trans artist and Bond fan Spency Dontremont finds Domino to be the ultimate Bond girl. Quote from Spency, Dominique Duval is one of the few characters whose nickname, Domino, is their iconography. This is reflected with a black and white wardrobe throughout the film. I adore characters whose clothing becomes a visual representation of themselves. I was so pleased to hear Claudine Auger's real voice on YouTube. Auger's voice is a lot lower than Domino's. It sounds sexy and demure. She speaks with a lower tempo and resonance. Auger's real voice is close to my own. As I mature into my transition, I have learned to love my own vocal resonance. It is my own and it makes me happy. that On Her Majesty's Secret Service was planned as the fourth Bond film and was even announced as such on early prints of Goldfinger. The change of plan was due to Eon feeling the pressure of a rival production led by Kevin McClory, so they combined forces with McClory rather than risk competing. Goldfinger's director Guy Hamilton jumped ship at this point, wary of having to make underwater fight scenes thrilling. Hamilton had been excited by the idea of helming on a Majesty's Secret Service because it was essentially a love story. But instead of having Bond fall in love with one woman and get married, I'll be very briefly, after Goldfinger, the filmmakers went as far away from this, from On a Majesty's Secret Service, as they could. Thunderball has more girls than ever before. Not that the Home Secretary notices. Even if he didn't have two stolen nuclear bombs taking up some of his cognitive capacity, he would still probably refer to all of the assembled MI6 agents, including at least one woman, as gentlemen. Publicity photos show there is a woman sitting at that table in the film, but in keeping with how certain other feminine touches pruned out of Thunderball along the way, she's edited out of the finished film.